such a cool intro. <laughs> hey, I want to welcome everybody. My name is Todd Lynch. I am the East Location Pastor. If you're new with us, you're like, what does that mean? We are one church in three locations. So we have West, East, and our prison location. So if you're at any of those, thank you for joining us today. And if you're listening online, I'm glad you're listening. So we've been going through a series called Uncommon. I've actually really enjoyed this series a lot. Um, so if you've missed any of those um, you know, sermons up to this point, make sure to catch up on them. Because here's what I love. We've been trying to share, okay, what does it mean to live an uncommon life versus a common life? To where God teaches us to live that uncommon life. And so we've been walking through the book of Judges. Now most of you are probably like, Judges, that's in the Bible? Yes, it actually is. And so what it is, it's this time where the Israelite nation... God said, you know what, I don't want you to have a king, I will be your king. And so here's what he would do. He would say, here's the rules, here's what I want you to do, here's what I want you to um, just follow through on. And so then the Israelite nation, being like humanity, eventually was like, you know what, that's good and all, God, but we're going to decide to do it this way. We're just going to do it on our own. And so eventually you just see this kind of decline of just how the nation is functioning. Eventually they get run over by another country. And then they're crying out to God, God, save us. And so then these judges raise up that God picks. So you have Deborah, Gideon, Samson, three judges that we've talked about, that God says, I'm going to raise you up, and you're going to bring Israel out of the situation that they're in. And so I've read through judges. Anytime there was leadership from one of these judges, the country was doing well. But whenever the leadership left or passed away, that's when the Israelite nation went back to doing what they wanted to do. And so that's where we are, what I'm going to be talking about today. And I guarantee you, none of you have probably heard a sermon about what I'm going to speak on. Little teaser right there, all right? Um, so here's where we're at. Samson has just passed away, the big guy, strong guy, doing some amazing things. And then he passes away, so then you see this kind of fall back into mediocrity, I'll call it that. There's a scripture that I want us to kind of land on. So here's, just to give you a clue of kind of what's going on. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. All I can read there is everybody did what they wanted to do. Everybody followed with their opinions. They led with that. And so as, I mean, think about that world a little bit. I mean, instead of truth being important, opinions are important. Instead of doing, you don't really know what's right or wrong. It's just whatever people decide. If you think that's right and I think it's wrong, well, we'll fight about it. And whoever wins, that's what's right and that's what's wrong. And so that's where this Israelite nation is at right now. And so as I was thinking about this, this is what came to my mind. And you may think I'm really weird. But I thought about buffets. I know that may sound, but... Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When you go to a buffet, that's happening. <laughs> Correct? And so I, I just want to share with you, just getting that little bit buffet mindset, giving you examples that I've seen. So here's my like three favorite buffets here uh, in Rapid City. One, we've got Pizza Ranch. I love Pizza Ranch. If you like that, please make some noise. Okay, good. Some people. Um, They've got pizza, they've got chicken, they have the whole salad bar. Like, we as a family love this place, all right? It is amazing. Their dessert pizza, so good, all right? Now, another one that I like, and this you may think less of me for, but you'll get over it, all right? It's the Hong Kong Buffet. 
It's right next to Kmart. Some of you are like, that's disgusting. I think it's fantastic. I don't know what it is about just a whole bunch of Chinese food with that rice, you know, sauce, chicken. I can have as much as I want. I love it. Um, but my favorite, though, all-time favorite, although I don't get it that often because they only serve it like on Sunday mornings. I don't know what the deal with that is. And that is a breakfast buffet. Like Minerva's used to, I, they still may have it, but I don't know because usually I'm at church on Sunday. Um, and so I love this. Like the waffle bar, the omelet station, you get, I love breakfast food. Like I could probably do this every day, but that would not be healthy for me. So, but here's, here's what I want you to think about buffet mindset. When you go in there, here's what you get excited about. You have all the options in the world in front of you. On top of that, you're in control. You get to pick what you want to eat, and it's fantastic. You don't have to deal with, especially if you're like growing up, you remember mom is like, well, this is all we got, you gotta eat this. And you're like, oh, buffet, you're going, this is awesome. Um, on top of that, there is a moment that usually happens, depending on if it's really busy or not, where usually there is a, a common food that everybody likes. So I, going through the places that I named, you've got Pizza Ranch, it's the dessert pizza. Um, at the Hong Kong Buffet, whenever the General Tso's chicken comes out, it's usually a pretty big deal. And then at the breakfast one, it's usually almost stationed in the waffle bar. Like those places are usually really packed. And so I noticed this, this past week we went to Pizza Ranch. And so they were really low on the uh, dessert aisle. And they've got like fruit ones and they got all this stuff. And, and you kind of notice, everybody kind of keeps doing this kind of like walk around and being like, I got anything yet? Okay, no, all right. I'm gonna go sit back down. Oh, she's coming. No, no, that wasn't dessert. That's just regular pizza. Oh, they, no, that's chicken, dang it. And then it happens. They come out of the kitchen and they've got like four like platters full of dessert. And you're like, that's it. And so I was so excited because I planned it out perfectly. I'm like the second in line. I'm like, this is perfect. This is what I love. And so there and I'm like, okay, I'll grab like two or three pieces for like my family and I, maybe just me, just throwing that out there. Um, and so second in line, the lady comes and then I see this like eight or nine year old girl cut in front of me. I was like, okay, I'll let that slide. Um, and then the, the old man cuts in front of me and that's where I go, really dude, you know the rules. Like there is a line, you follow it. All of a sudden I get a little bit more intense. I grab the plate, I'm just like, boxing out people and like whatever it takes. It became like survival of the fittest at this dessert place. And so I'm watching this and like you see the mentality that happens within a buffet. It's kind of crazy to watch. We love having it. We love kind of having all of our op options in front of us. We love being in control. But here's the dangerous part. I think sometimes we take that buffet mindset, which is great with food, but it comes very dangerous when we take it into what we believe, how we understand the world, how we understand God. Because then, here, I'll show it to you. The buffet mindset, it's where opinions is greater than the truth. And so, with this buffet mindset, when we get into beliefs, see, if we have that, then every opinion has to be validated, whether it's the truth or not. On top of that, it becomes whoever can share their opinion the most, whoever can do it the best, whoever is kind of the strongest at it, that's the opinion that wins. And that must be the opinion that is true. See, I find this dangerous, and know this, this is what's going on within judges right now. 
So you've got all these countries that are surrounding the Israelite nation, and they have many different beliefs, beliefs in many different gods. It was common during that time to where you would create these whole shrines, create idols, and you would have multiple gods, and you would worship all these different gods. Well, the Israelite nation is supposed to be uncommon to where they have one God, and they only worship him. And so that's why God gave them the Ten Commandments, all of that. But you see the influence of all the other countries start to have an impact on the Israelite nation. And see, I think when we have this buffet mindset, truth really becomes relative. And justice starts to turn into revenge because it's all led by opinions. And so that kind of leads me in to the story that I want to talk to you today about. The main character in the story is a guy named Micah. Now, he's not the guy that some of you may have read your Bibles, and there's a book called Micah. It's not that guy. Now, Micah, just to give you a little history, he's just an Israelite doing what Judges 17, 6 said, where it's just simply he was doing whatever was right in his own eyes. And he's not a judge. I want you to know that. He's not a judge, not someone God raises up. But there's a reason why the author brings up Micah, and it's very important. And so I want to kind of get into the story a little bit. So here's how it starts. We hear about Micah by the fact that it starts off with this. His mom, um, he realizes that he stole, and didn't realize, but he knew he had stole some money from his mom. Kind of a bad thing to do. You don't do that. Well, his mom's pretty upset about it. He eventually feels guilty enough, gives the money back to his mom. You're kind of thinking, this is how it starts? Yes, this is exactly start reading Judges 17. Here you go. And then he pays back the money to his mom, and his mom decides to do something very interesting. Considering they're Israelites, very interesting with the money. So watch this. He returned the money to her, and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. In honor of my son, I will have an image carved and an idol cast. Now catch this. She goes, well, I'm going to dedicate these coins to the Lord. But then says, I'm going to make an image carved and an idol cast. Second commandment says, you shall not make any idols. So you can tell the Israelite belief system is a little messed up right now. Because they would have known that. They would have known the rules. But they thought, probably because of the influence of the other countries, they go, I'm going to honor God by making this idol. You see, it's very confusing. It's backwards. And so when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. So you think this is just kind of the normalcy now. Their author is showing like this is what the Israelite nation is doing. It's actually messing up the relationship with God because God's going, what are you doing? That doesn't honor me. You're breaking the second commandment. You shouldn't make any idols. So then the story keeps going in verse 5. Catch this. Micah set up a shrine for the idol. He made a sacred ephod and some household idols. Not only does he like the idol that the silversmith made, he goes, you know what? I should make some more. And she, he creates this whole shrine. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. Now you can tell he's just making it up as he goes. <laughs> like, he's just like, you know what, son? You're going to be a priest today. I really like what you're doing. Let's do that. And so... Take care of my idols. Now, I remind you, this is the Israelite nation where God had established rules of how someone becomes a priest, and you had to come from a Levite family. Micah's like, I don't care about that. My son's going to be, my son's going to be the priest. And then you catch the next verse. In those days, 
I'll go back real quickly. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You could kind of see they're kind of mixing, like, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm just going to do what I want to do, leading with opinions. Now, as the story kind of keeps going, Micah eventually actually runs into an actual priest. Now, here's the story behind this. The actual priest is actually looking for work. Some of the commentaries say it had gotten so bad in Jerusalem that normally this is how it would work. A lot of people would bring their sacrifices, would bring their animals so that they could get forgiveness from God, and that's how pastors or priests got taken care of. This priest is going, no one's coming. Nothing's happening. No one wants to worship. They're all doing whatever they want to do, so I just better go look for work. Happens to stumble into Micah's house, and Micah's like, wait a minute, you're a priest? Oh, this is perfect. I want you to take over my shrine. Now, if you're a priest, you would think, well, no, I can't do that. I don't, we don't have idols. We worship the one true God. But I think the priest was so desperate, he's like, I'll take the job. So then, catch this, in Matthew 16, 13, Micah says this. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest. He feels like he has set it all up, and he's trying to honor God, and he's like, man, not only do I have this perfect shrine, I now have a priest. Everything is perfect, although we go back to the fact that God's going, you're breaking the second commandment, and you're throwing a priest in there now. What are you doing? (laughs) This made me think. Now, some of you may be going, dude, this Micah guy, he's an idiot. But if we're honest... I think most of us in here have had good intentions of trying to honor God or please God by doing what we're doing, but we're leading with our opinions instead of the truth. So let me share a story with you of just kind of giving an example um, from our life, and then I say ours, me and my family. So I have a daughter. Her name's Emma. She's three years old, and um, she's pretty much a walking opinion right now. Um, she has a lot to say, and if you've heard her um, possibly in the lobby, probably, you know, elevating her voice to let us know what her opinion is. Um, She's pretty loud, Um, but we've been working on her, um, just trying to parent her, especially now that we've got a one-year-old son named Corbin, and so you've got this brother and sister dynamic going on, and she really wants to play with him, but we recognize um, playing became a little too intense because Emma's pretty big compared to Corbin. Um, And Corbin wants to play, but eventually there comes a time where Emma's like laying on top of him or punching him or kicking him. Um, That you're like, okay, and he starts to cry or is like, I'm suffocating, please let me up. Um, So then we're kind of like, okay, Emma, we need some ground rules. Like if mommy and daddy say get off or stop punching or stop kicking, you need to stop and you need to leave your brother alone because there's just some days he may be crabby and doesn't want you to touch him at all. So we established that rule, and no, if parents in the room, you'll understand this, that rule goes really well. Um, so the next time, after we've kind of had the talk, we're like, all right, Emma, you know the rules, you're good. And then they start to play, and Emma's doing something, and they're like, Emma, get off of him. Emma, get off. Emma. Okay. And you go over and grab her, and you take her off of Corbin. You're like, why did you not listen? Sit down. And... Then you kind of have, Emma, what were you doing? And she's looking at you like, what? What's the problem? I got off of him. And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) And so then we talk about, hey, you need to listen the first time. How important that is. You need to listen that first time. And 
And then eventually we start talking about consequences. Like, well, here's what's going to happen. You, you can't watch your show, or it's like you can't have ice cream. Two things that she loves. And then that's where there's like a, a switch that goes off in Emma. All of a sudden, she's going, Dad, Dad, I want to listen. I really, Dad, I want to listen. Like, she's screaming this at us. Like, Dad, no, 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 I want to listen. I want it. This is good. Dad, I can do it. I want to listen. And we're like, it's too late now. But I, she just is hoping, here's what she's hoping, that the, by saying I want to listen, the consequences will go away. Now, I know she's three, and she has good intentions of playing with her brother. She has good intentions of listening, but the reality is the good intentions are not getting it to the truth. And I think most of us, although we're not dealing with maybe, you know, laying on our sibling and punching and kicking, most of us have probably had the same feelings. Most of us have probably done the same things. I know I have. As a pastor, I have great intentions. I want to make sure, God, I want you to be honored. I got to want you to, but then sometimes I'll start leading with my opinion, saying, God, I've got this. I know what I'm doing. And then I get through it, and I'm like, why did that not work? I can tell you, uh, trying to be a godly father, trying to be a godly husband, godly friend, all these different roles God has given me, there have been so many moments where I had good intentions. I wanted to do the right thing. Even just being a follower of Jesus Christ, I had good intentions. But the danger is because I led with my opinions, thinking, God, I've got this. I know how to do this. Don't worry about it. And then I get through it, and I'm looking back going, why is this messed up? How did I get here? Why is this a path of destruction? I thought I was doing the right thing. I mean, put yourself even in Micah's shoes. He felt like he was trying his best to honor God but yet he was still breaking God's commandments. And you think of this, I, I even know for me, there was these times where I was like, God, I really want to give to you financially. I really want to make this possible. But then I'm like, ah, I just, you know what, God, I'll just give you kind of whatever is left over. Good intentions, but not what God would want. God, I know, you know, I really want to love and serve people. I, I know I should do that. But God, you, man, it's just a busy time right now. Good intentions, but not the truth. And I think we could keep going example and example after example. We've all led with our opinions at times, and we recognize it doesn't get us to the truth. And so that's why we've got to recognize this next statement. God's truth is always greater than our opinion. I know some of you in here, you may be like, really? Is that, is that true? Because, man, sometimes doing God's way doesn't make sense. And, and to be honest, our opinions, they seem logical, they seem sound, they seem to be like, this is what should happen. And in God's way, you're going, I don't get. But this is always true. Because I can even play it out later with Micah's story. Because one of the tribes, they were called the tribe, they had 12 tribes in the Israelite nation. One of them was Dan. And so all the tribes had kind of owned their own land, and this tribe of Dan had not gotten their own land yet. And so they're looking, and so they were kind of looking around actually Micah's house, and there was some land past Micah's house that they really thought was great. So they sent a couple spies out. They are walking by Micah's house, and they notice that there's a priest there. They get this idea, hey, let's, let's ask the priest 
if it would be a blessing that God wants us to go claim this land. So they asked the priest, and the priest, of course, also kind of shows them around and shows them the shrine that they had, and he goes, yes, I think God will totally bless you guys on this. So the whole tribe of Dan, and I'm like, you're talking a huge group of people. They've got their warriors out front. They're going to go fight for this land. And as they're passing Micah's house, you'll see this is just kind of the mentality of that was going on. They go, you know what? We should take the shrine. I bet that would give us good luck. I bet God would bless us. So they take it. On top of that, they ask the priest, they're like, hey, you want to come with us and then become our priest as the tribe of Dan, be that priest? And the priest was like, yeah, let's go. And so Micah was not around at the time, so all his stuff just got stolen. He comes back to the house and he's like, what is happening? And he knew the tribe of Dan was going by, so he chases after him. And watch this interaction. Catch this. The men of Dan turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter? Why have you called these men together and chased after us like this? What do we do? I love Micah's response. What do you mean, what's the matter? You know exactly what's going on. Micah replied, you've taken away all the gods I have made and my priests, and I, this is the interesting part to me, I have nothing left. Do you recognize that he had put all his beliefs in these opinions? And he felt like he had nothing left, although God was still there and was always there. Find it fascinating, he felt like he had nothing left. I think many of us have probably been there as well. When our opinions fall apart, we're going, I've got nothing left. And God's going, you've got me. When are you going to learn to lean on me? I'll keep going in the story. Sorry about that. The men of Dan said, watch what you say. There are some short-tempered men around you who might get angry and kill you. Death threats. That's how we run now. And your family. So the men of Dan continued on their way. When Micah saw that there were too many of them for him to attack, he turned around and went home. That's how the justice system worked back then. Whoever was bigger, whoever was stronger, they could take whatever they wanted. So Micah is now left with nothing. All of that taken away from him. On top of that, if you keep reading, here's what happens to the tribe of Dan. They settle in, they get their land, and they take the shrine that Micah had made and made it a huge worship place to where everybody would come there and worship God. And it actually became so popular around the whole Israelite nation. I remind you, this worship place is full of idols, full of things that God's going, this is not what I wanted. So you see the breakdown that now these people of Israel, it's thinking they're honoring God, but in the midst of it, they're breaking the commandments that God has given. The relationship here was starting to break down pretty heavily. And then if you keep reading, you see that the relationship between each other started to break down to where horrific events start to happen. And then they start fighting against each other. They start killing each other. And eventually they get to a point to where one tribe is almost destroyed because of the fights that are going on. And they're going, what are we doing? We're killing ourselves. We're fighting. We're arguing over every little thing. We are so angry at each other. And eventually they cry out to God. They recognize that their ways, their opinions is not working. And they cry out to God and say, God, help us. God's like, I'll totally help us. And he goes, they're like, we're not done yet. We need a king. And God's like, no, I want to be your king. But they kept pushing and they kept pushing. No, God, we need a king. And so after judges, what happens is and God in his mercy and love gives them a king. And so starts this whole next part of the Israelite nation history 
of them having kings. And I would say this. The interesting part to me is I think one of the main reasons the Israelite nation wanted a king is so that they would have somebody to blame. When things weren't going the right way, when things were not working, they'd be like, okay, king, fix this. Now, if God's king, then you kind of go, shoot, like it's not really his fault. It's probably ours. And so I hope that you see through Micah's story and through what's happening to the Israelite nation, catch this, when we lead with our opinions, leading with our opinions will lead to our downfall. It is where nations start to crumble. It's where our lives individually start to fall apart because we think we know how to do life. And we're leading with our opinions. And God's going, I have a whole way of how you can do life. I can show you how to do this. But you got to lean on me. And I would say, with what's good and going on in our world, man, I feel like, especially in America, I feel like we are leading with our opinions more than we ever have before. I mean, think about it. When these horrific events happen, what seems to be the next reaction is everybody goes to social media and starts putting out their opinion of what we should do next. I wish more of us, and including myself, I'm, danger, I, I'm guilty of that. I think more of us need to be just dropping to our knees and saying, God, what do we need to do? God, we're sorry. We're hurting each other. We're fighting. We can't even understand how, like, if you're on this side, then you can't be on this side either. And it's like, no, we love people. That's what this country should be about. This is what we should be about. And God's going, I know, that's what I've been teaching all along. Love God, love others. But we think our opinions are better. And so I... I would say this, if we start to live in an opinion-driven world, it's miserable. Because think about it, an opinion-driven world, you never know the truth. And I think down deep in every human being, we want to know the truth, desperately. We don't want truth to be relative. And we also want justice to play out. But instead, it turns into revenge, and it turns into killing, and it turns into nastiness. And I think living in a world that is driven by opinions, here's what starts to happen. Our identity is found in the opinions we get from other people and the opinions we have about ourselves. And can we all be honest? Many of us in here probably have some wrong opinions of who we are. There are many people in your life who have probably given you wrong opinions, because God has a huge opinion about who you are. And I actually think that may be the truth. And that's the part I love about God because God was not gonna allow us to live in this opinionated world. God saved us from an opinion-driven life. He says, you don't have to live that way. I can show you the truth. I can show you how life plays out. I can help you make decisions. I can show you in the midst of chaos how to be wise, how to love, how to care, whatever, whatever you're going through. And here's how we did it. Because you may be thinking, okay, how is God's truth greater than our opinion? How do I know he saved us from having this opinion-driven life? And I would say the first thing that God did is he created the Bible. He created this whole story about how he's been fathering caring and loving 
humanity. I mean, think about it. The reason he gave rules is so that we would have guardrails in our life. Because, man, let's be honest, some of us in here, we have plenty of stories where we just blew past the guardrails. And now we have a ton of regret, ton of mistakes, and ton of just shame because of that. And God's going, I'm trying to protect you from that. One of the most loving things we can do as parents is put up guardrails for our kids. And that's what God did. He's like, I want to provide you with guardrails so you know how to live this life and how to figure it out. You don't have to do it by yourself. And so catch this, in 2 Timothy, just, it's just not my opinion, it's, it's the Bible. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip, equip his people to do every good work. He gave us the Bible so that we could have stories, so that we can have rules, we can have laws, have these guardrails that help us know, ah, that's where I'm supposed to go. But here's the one thing that I've learned about being a parent. It's like you can put all the perfect rules in place. All of them. You can be a rule Nazi. And your kids might follow it. But over time, what's going to happen is if there's not a relationship there, if there's not grace and love pouring out, they'll stop listening to the rules. I think all of us in here understand that. We always look at it and go, okay. Yes, someone has told me all these rules, but why do I need them? And when that why comes out of relationship, that's when it's powerful. That's why God said, you know what? One of the biggest issues that we're going to have is they're not going to be able to live up to this law. I'm going to put a lot of things, and I want what's best for them, but they're going to make mistakes. And it's not going to be able to work out. So we need to develop a relationship. We need to be able to pay the price because the way... The justice system works in God's world. The way he is such a just God, he's like, if there's sin, then the payment for sin is death. And he's like, I don't want that. So he sent his son to pay the price for all of us so that we could have a relationship with God. And out of that relationship, we learn how these rules apply to our lives. We learn why they're so valuable. But it starts with a relationship first. I love how God says we need grace and love. And then we can get to the truth. And Romans, here's just a better way to explain it. And if you've got a Bible, I would underline this because I think it's such a powerful verse. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Yay. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God made it possible for that law not to condemn us, but actually provide guardrails because God saved us from the punishment that would happen from the law. I think it's just such a loving thing to where you go, okay, now God's truth sounds a little, a little bit stronger than my own. Or if you want to be honest, a lot stronger than my own. There's some weight behind it. There's a lot of love and grace behind it. And so, I want you to kind of ask yourself this question. How do I get God's truth in my life? How do I do it? How do I walk this out? I gave you some examples. Yes, start walking out the Bible. Start having this relationship with Jesus. But I think the main thing is, is God must become our source of truth. 
Whenever we're making decisions in life, we lean on him. We're dependent on him. That's how he becomes our source to where we're leaning on him for everything that we're doing. Because I truly believe this. Whatever the source of truth is in your life, that determines the path that you're going to go on. I mean, uh, here's my way of saying it. The source of truth determines the direction of our lives. And so wherever you find your source of truth, whether it's you or God, that will determine the path that you go on. So as I was thinking about this, this kind of came to my mind. uh, (laughs) It's kind of a funny example. But in college, I, I always noticed this because it was pretty easy to notice. So at college, they had all these sidewalks paved out to where you could walk from any uh, location to another location, whether it was from like a dorm room all the way to class, you had a sidewalk to go on. But us being college students, we thought, you know what, I see the sidewalk, but I also see the shorter path, the shortcut, the easier way. And so you would see this next to the sidewalk, there would be this like little dirt path because all these students had created it. Now. I've even seen it here in the Black Hills. You're walking down some path, and then you're like, oh, well, that looks nifty. Like, whoever did that? Or that's cool. Um, Give me an example of just kind of what this looks like. Take a look at this picture. (laughs) Right? Stairs were a little too difficult that day. You know what's easier? Let's just climb up this right here. Now, this is my favorite one, the next one. (laughs) You know, we were going to build a garden here, but people just decided to trample it. So we're just going to make a path right in the middle of it. Instead of just literally walking around, like it's not that many extra steps. And this happens all the time. You see it everywhere you go. If you're walking on some kind of path that's actually designed and then you go off, like especially in the hills, someone has created their own path. It's the shortcut or the easier way. And I look at it this way. Take it back to what I'm talking about. I think God created all these paths, created these sidewalks for us. And they're designed like perfectly designed to take us where we need to go, helping us make the right decisions. And Proverbs 3, I mean, if you're wondering, like, is that true? Yes, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. He promises to give you the path. He says, I will show you the sidewalk to take. But we often go, but God, I hear you, but I see a shortcut. I hear you, but I think this would be easier. And so we kind of start walking down our own paths, not realizing that we're creating a path of destruction the whole way. And the powerful part for me to think about is like, okay, yeah, trampling on these things, and I look back and I'm going, making a mess, but I also realize there's probably about 10, 15, 20 people following me too. When I make mistakes like that, there's my kids probably following me. There's the leadership that I have here at that church, there's people following me. And that's how the road just kind of keeps getting wider and wider and wider and more destruction and more destruction. And I look at that and go, God, I'm so sorry for leading with my opinion. I missed out on the path that I should have taken. I missed that moment where, I, and I, God, I know I can get back on it, but I'm sorry. And that's the beautiful part of God. God is willing to forgive us and God is willing to show you, here's the path I need you to get on. So with that in mind, here's the question I want to ask you. How much of your life is truth-driven or opinion-driven? How much of your life is 
Truth-driven or opinion-driven? Think about it. Truth-driven is this. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. Opinion-driven, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Think of all the roles that you have in life. Think about being uh, a parent, being a spouse, being a friend, being a student, being a coworker, being a boss. Whatever roles God has given you, ask yourself, am I leading it with a truth-driven mentality or am I leaving it, leading it with just my own mentality, my opinions? Because I would say this, God is looking for people who will do this. Because I guarantee you, if we're willing to go the truth-driven route, we'll see healing, we'll see love like we've never seen it before, we'll see a power that only can come from God. Because he's changing how we see life. And now we're starting to experience the true life. And I, can I tell you this? Man, when we start to really know the truth and how freeing it is and relying on God more than ever, I think those are some of the best moments in life. Where we're reliant, we're dependent, and we see how good God can really be. Because trust me, I've had a lot of those moments. Led with my opinion, and I've got a lot of stories where I look back and go, why did I do that? Why did I lead with my opinions? Why did I think I could solve this? I think it's an easy trap we fall into. We all do it. But I hope that we can leave today going, how much of my life is truth-driven or opinion-driven? And even maybe a better question to ask is this, who is the source of truth in your life? Is it you or is it God? So I, I wanted to give us a little time to kind of wrap it up to where I want you to simply ask this question to God. Simply wrestle with, man, it, it, what kind of life am I living? Where am I finding my source of truth? And so I'm just gonna give you some time and really wrestle with that. So go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads. And I simply want you wrestling with, talking with God and saying, God, who is my source of truth? How can I start living this truth-driven life? Because I know some of you in here, you may be thinking, man, this is the first time I've ever heard of this. I didn't know God had the truth and you were going, I need to change, I need God. Because the way I've been living has not been working. Some of us in here, we've been a Christian for so many years, but we're starting to get too reliant on ourselves and starting to lead with our own opinions. And we need to learn to be more dependent on God and even so maybe fall to our knees and say, God, I need you because I've been doing it my way too long. So church, wherever you're at, take this time and simply talk with God.